0: Welcome to Feminist Coffee Hour. You can find us online at feministcoffeehour.com, on Twitter at FemCoffeePod, or you can send us an email to feministcoffeehour at gmail.com. I'm Elizabeth. And I'm Karen. And today we are welcoming back a very special guest, activist, mom, and congressional candidate in the Democratic primary for New York's 3rd District, Melanie DiRigo. Welcome back to Feminist Coffee Hour, Melanie.
1: Thank you so much. I love being here with both of you.
0: The last time we spoke was May 2020, and uh, a lot has happened since then. Uh, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing really well. You know, it, a lot has happened. It, it feels almost like 10 years ago. <laughs> but, you know, we we never stopped organizing, and, you know, we relaunched our campaign back in May, and we're really excited about the momentum we're building.
0: Great. So I guess what I want to ask you um, in the running again What did you learn about running for Congress the last time? And did anything about running for Congress surprise you?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Yes, we learned quite a bit. Mostly that time is the one thing you cannot get back. So start as early as possible. Uh, and then, you know, of course, there were some technical learnings, uh just different ways to do voter outreach that you know we wish maybe we had done earlier. Of course, you know, we we campaigned during the pandemic, during the start of the pandemic, which of course none of us could foresee. So I think you know that certainly brought unique challenges that. Hopefully we won't have to contend with this time around, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, overall every day is a gift. Every minute is a gift. So don't waste it. I think that was the biggest takeaway. What surprised me? you know, it, it was a, it's almost a double edged sword. Uh, we met some of uh, the greatest, most amazing people all over Queens and Long Island, people that have really become part of our extended family, people we consider really good friends, some amazing organizers, people who care so deeply about improving the lives of others, and and that has been amazing. You know, we we also dealt with a fair amount of. You know, criticism, sexism, misogyny, and and that part is, you know, that that was something we didn't expect, I guess, to to receive at the level we did. But you know, we we try to focus on the positive, and uh, you know, really try to focus on helping folks and and the strong alliances and, and great friendships we've made.
0: You know, I was going like my first instinct when you said that was to say like, coming from Tom Suozzi, from his supporters, from Republicans, but I feel like it just comes at all angles.
1: It does. It does. And and sometimes from, from areas that you least expect it, I, I don't know, as women, we sort of expect that we'll get it from the old boys club and you do, but we don't expect it to come from women. And uh, when it does that, that stings a little more somehow. But I will say, I think that there has been a shift. And I think women of every generation are recognizing that we need to support one another. And, you know, we can band together and, and we can Really help each other, and we don't have to stab each other in the back, and we don't have to, you know, it doesn't have to be one or the other. It can be all of us together, and that's what really fills me with joy and and fills me with hope. And something that we've tried to model as a campaign, helping others. Uh, You know, I spent the last year giving a lot of counsel to candidates who were running for other offices, and um, you know, that's something that you know I think I'll always continue to do because I think all boats rise, right? And that's something we have to remember.
0: Sure. If you were elected, what would be your top, I guess, legislative priorities and have they changed since last time around?
1: (laughs) You know, so much has changed and so much has stayed the same, unfortunately. I am, I think I mentioned last time I was on the show, but you know, for, for those who are listening now, I spent my career as an allied health professional. So I worked with patients, I worked with families and later organizations, building health improvement strategies to help people live healthier lives. And so healthcare is really important to me. And I am a big proponent of Medicare for all. So that's still, you know, high priority for me. I also think the Green New Deal and the policies that will help realize the Green New Deal are of paramount importance. You know, that hasn't changed. It's still an existential crisis. And, you know, we're even seeing even more extreme weather patterns this year than we did last year. That's something that absolutely needs to be addressed. And, you know, there's a long list of priorities that I have. You know, of course, reproductive rights, social justice issues. And then there's voting rights, which I I think is, you know, huge we, we need to do quite a bit in Congress, some of which is not under the jurisdiction of the House of Representatives, which, of course, I'm running for in New York 3. But, you know, I, I strongly believe we have to end the filibuster. We have to expand the court. We need publicly funded elections. You know, th- those are pieces. But what it all really boils down to is that we have to get corporate money out of politics. That's the biggest barrier to change. It was a cornerstone of my campaign last year. And it is, again, this time around. I think we've done a lot of really good education. We continue to do that to show folks who's really pulling the strings. It is absolutely ludicrous that lobbyists are able to hand bills to our representatives who then put them on the floor and vote on them. They're not serving the interests of us, the people, as constituents. They're serving the interests of their corporate donors. At every turn, that is is the biggest barrier to change. It's where policy lives and dies. Uh, so that is something that uh, I think uh, even before We're able to really tackle the climate crisis. That is something we're going to have to address. Otherwise, we will always have big oil, big plastic to contend with. And it's a really hard fight when you're up against, you know, billions of dollars being poured in against
0: you. Yeah, that that makes sense. Like I said before, last time, I'll I'll disclose again, I'm a supporter of yours. I'd be a constituent of yours. You know, I've donated to your campaign. And I was really happy to hear that you were endorsed by Zephyr Teachout. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, or any other endorsements you've gotten recently? Um,
1: yeah, absolutely. So first and foremost, I will say Zephyr Teachout is just an incredible human being. She endorsed us last year in, uh, you know, in the last race. It was a little bit later on in the cycle, but unfortunately, uh, you know, that was when Donald Trump was president and uh, every day uh, there was another catastrophe happening. So it's kind of hard to break through. We're really excited to have Zephyr's support this early on. You know, she's she has been an incredible friend and advisor in many ways. Well, I shouldn't say advisor, but has given me some really good counsel and has really just shown up for me in this race. And, uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to knocking some doors with her and having some events with her. I couldn't really ask, for a better, you know, female figure to, to support the campaign. So, you know, I, as you know, I'm a big fan of female energy and feminists. So we're very excited. And I think, you know, the district is excited. We had a really good response when we announced that endorsement, you know, this time around, we've actually been endorsed by an an incredible amount of organizations. And even early on in the uh, campaign, I'm actually the first candidate nationally to be endorsed by um, brand new congress to be endorsed by the National Organization for Women Moms in Office her bold move I was early endorsed by matriarch and then locally I was the first candidate to be endorsed by Progressive Women of New York Nypan Empire State Indivisible Long Island Activists the Long Island Network for Change and recently this just this past week we were this is very interesting we got the endorsement of the South Shore Democrats who typically only endorse incumbents but because, you know, my opponent flew up to Buffalo to campaign against the Democratic nominee for mayor, India Walton, they found it so unacceptable that they called me and said, you know, we don't usually do this, but these are extenuating circumstances and we'd love to endorse your campaign. So I'm really proud to have this broad coalition that we've built, that we will continue to build as, you know, we we continue on day after day.
0: I was actually going to ask you about that. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Tom endorsing. Uh... Byron Brown.
1: Yes. Yes. So Tom has not been shy about aligning himself with more conservative members of the party. This was surprising to me this past weekend. He flew up to Buffalo to endorse Byron Brown, who, of course, you know, for those of you who may not know, let me start there. There was a Democratic primary in Buffalo for the mayoral race. A young black woman named India Walton. She's a single mother and really incredible candidate. She won the primary. Byron Brown is a sore loser and launched a write in campaign is being funded by Republican donors. And Tom Swasey flew up to Buffalo to support Byron Brown and his write in campaign. And, you know, actually, I spoke with Zephyr a couple of days ago and she was up in Buffalo and she said it's it's not a done deal that, you know, India Walton is going to win this race, even though she is the Democratic nominee. And that's that's a real shame. Because I think for a long time, when we talk about establishment party politics, that, that's the one rule. You don't go against the party. So it's it feels very hypocritical and, and, and frankly, I think very anti-woman. India Brown would be the first woman to serve as mayor of Buffalo, first Black woman to serve as mayor of Buffalo. I think she has really launched a people-led campaign. She cares deeply about the people of Buffalo, and there's absolutely no reason that Tom should be up in Buffalo. I mean, frankly, certainly not to be rude, he's entitled to do what he wants to do. But why should the people of Buffalo listen to a congressman on Long Island in Queens? It just it it doesn't really make sense. Unless, of course, one is looking potentially uh, at some higher aspirations. We all know the rumors he's looking to run for governor. And I think he's trying to carve out, you know, a right lane here. Uh, a right path to, by right, I mean conservative path to the gubernatorial uh, race.
0: I was texting with some, some friends in the district about this interview being like, what do, you, what do you want to hear from Melanie? And someone just said, does anyone in Buffalo know who Tom Suozzi is? They use some more rude language, but, you know, get the point across. And and, and what you're saying is true. It's, it's not about the people of Buffalo. It's about you know, the mayor of Buffalo knowing who he is, you know?
1: Of course. And, it, and it's about potentially, you know, taking those supporters. And, you know, it, it's it's kind of a yucky political move. And, you know, of course, this thing happened, these types of things happen all the time. But to undermine the Democratic nominee and, and subvert the will of the people, I think, is, is just, I mean, we had enough of that with, <laughs> with our former president. And it's just, it's definitely not something we want to see from our party and, you know, unfortunately, this isn't really that new. Um, you know, Tom Swazi is the vice chair of the Problem Solvers Caucus. And within that caucus, he caucuses with Republicans regularly to block critical Democratic legislation. Currently, he's one of the uh, holdouts on the reconciliation budget. So, you know, this is he's blocking, um, you know, expanded child care, expanded health care, housing, education, uh, you know, so this unfortunately is not a new move for him. But I I think it's bonkers, you know, to look at it and, and say, wow, I, I guess he, he really wants to run for governor. I, I, I don't know what else to say about that. We're, we're focused on on building people led movements. Of course, I support India Walton. I'm hoping to do some phone banking for her. And I hope those of you listening, if, if this gets out in time, I hope you'll consider phone banking for her as well.
2: That was, you know, such a rich response. There's so many things that you spoke to, so I might back you up a little bit to go back to the middle of it. Yeah. Because I think particularly right now, we're recording this on October 12th. I think there's a lot of frustration in Congress around not just in the House, but also the Senate with centrist Democrats really derailing any possibility of, getting progressive legislation through. And I think that that, like, I I really want to hear you kind of speak to that in more detail, because I think that that really speaks to, you know, some of what what is holding up our democratic process and how we can move forward. And, And I really, I see you as a candidate who can really speak to this particular moment. Yes.
1: I do think we can absolutely get progressive policy through. You know, I mentioned earlier, I talked a little bit about this influence of corporate money. And, and unfortunately, this is what we're seeing. Um, for example, you know, we, we do. We hear a lot about Joe Manchin and we hear a lot about Kristen Cinema, And we know that they're being flooded right now with donations to, to oppose, right? One thing I want to make abundantly clear, because I think there is a lot of misinformation about this, the cost of this reconciliation budget is paid for, right? And it's paid for, uh, yes, by rebalancing the tax structure so that the ultra billionaires are paying their fair share of taxes. That's a piece of it. It's also funded by lowering prescription drug prices so we can match our counterparts around the world and not get charged exorbitant prices for prescription drugs. It's also paid for by fully staffing the IRS so that, the richest among us I don't pay a team of 20 accountants to get them every tax loophole known to man so they don't have to pay their taxes, right? So again, it's it's not about punishing the ultra wealthy. It's about rebalancing the structure so that uh middle class families aren't burdened with it, right? I'm actually very proud of the progressive caucus for holding the line. And, you know, I I talk to folks all day long. And, and you know, sometimes we hear, you know, well, don't you think we should just pass the, you know, the hard infrastructure. Your bill and then we can pass these other, uh, bills later. And I think it's, it's a nice idea in theory, but you know, Nancy Pelosi is, uh, you know, however you feel about Nancy Pelosi, she is very careful and she's very shrewd and, and, you know, she's got a lot of experience with what she's doing and she will only put a bill on the floor if she knows she can pass it. And, you know, it has come out. The Chamber of Commerce was bragging about this uh, just last week that if they vote for the hard infrastructure bill, so fund the bridges, fund the roads, which we, of course, need, they will make sure the other bill is killed. You know, I mentioned, you know, my opponent, he's currently a no because he wants a full salt repeal. Now, there are a lot of families in Long Island that would benefit from raising the salt cap. But the idea that that is a middle class issue is just completely false because the reality is if we could pass the reconciliation bill, middle class families would get nearly ten thousand dollars back the, from childcare. Uh, if if they have children in college, they would save you know a ton of money by funding if, if we could actually fund public education and fund excuse me fund college and you know expanding health care. middle class families would save more. If we make sure that the reconciliation bill is passed without means tests, then they would by raising the salt cap. So I'm proud to see, as I said, I'm proud to see the Progressive Caucus holding strong on this, because let us also not forget that this was agreed upon by all Democrats, that they were going to pass both sections, you know, the, the human infrastructure bill and the hard infrastructure bill. And it was going to be passed together. And it was Josh Gottheimer, who happens to be Tom Swasey's right-hand man, and some other problem solvers and, and some other, I mean, I, I don't even like to call them centrist anymore because that's not what, what they are. I think it was Ab, Abdulaziz said uh, they're regressives, right? So I think that's what we should call them from now on. They were regressive Democrats who said, you know what, wait. And they pulled the rug out and said, we need to decouple these bills. And no, we don't. No, we don't. I think what we need to do is return to who we are as a party, return to our values, and start putting people first. It's about time. For, for decades, we've put corporations and lobbyists first. They can get to the back of the line for, uh, for once.
2: And just for our our listeners, you mentioned the problem solvers. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Would you mind giving a little lesson on what that caucus is?
1: I will. I will. So the problem solvers caucus, in theory, sounds pretty good to most people. In theory, the problem solvers caucus is comprised of an equal amount of Democrats and Republicans Now, if you were here with us, you would see my quote. So we're air quoting this, who work together, work across the aisle in a bipartisan manner. Now,
2: I I I really- It sounds great when you put it like that. I mean, who doesn't like a problem solver? Who
1: doesn't like to work together? (laughs) On the Hill, the caucus is uh, referred to as the problem causer caucus because they continually undermine the Democratic Party. The problem solvers caucus has only ever benefited- the republican party and and you know they're they're notorious for um you know so so for example when donald trump came into power their caucus tried to hold up nancy pelosi's speakership and now again however you feel about nancy pelosi or or another speaker of the house put that on a shelf for a second they held up the speakership not because they wanted, you know, someone more progressive or, um, you know, even a different speaker. They held it up as leverage so that they could weaken Democratic power in the House. And so it would make it easier for Republicans to bring bills to the floor. So that was their first order of business. And and that to me is crazy. But, you know, they, they've done things like um, supplemental border Bill, uh, a couple of years ago, was passed when we were hearing about all the horrors happening at the southern border and the detention centers. They essentially were responsible for passing Mitch McConnell's version, which stripped out all accountability, stripped out all but 3% of funding for humanitarian aid and, and really just expanded ICE and CBP, uh, Customs of Border Patrol, and told everybody that they did something good and, and they really, you know, did something horrible. And, you know, they rolled back Dodd-Frank, which, of course, really affected a lot of Black communities across this country because it, it allowed big banks to gobble up small community banks and, you know, deregulated a lot of the regulations that were put in place after the housing crisis when... You know, many, many folks went bankrupt and lost their homes. Um, So, you know, they're not a caucus that works to find consensus. Their version of bipartisanship equals corporate lobbyists they work together to help corporate lobbyists. And, and that's all that they do. That's all that they've ever done. And it's it's just, it's really unfortunate because they use it as a shield and they, they try to uh, avert accountability for their votes by saying, well, we will only vote together as a caucus. And then we can't tell you what our vote would be. So it's, it's just a wild caucus. And um, yeah, I mean, unfortunately this is, you know, my opponent's like, claim to fame. And it's, it's just, it's not, it's not something that is really a good faith effort.
2: Yeah. It's a uh, problem solvers. Yes. But whose problem are they solving?
1: <laughs> right. Republican problems, mm. corporate lobbyist
2: problems. Exactly. And There was a call for them to like censure
0: the uh, members of Congress involved in the January 6th riots. And they just, they didn't. Right. Well,
1: let me. Let, here's here's a not so a not so fun fact. Yeah, there were. Um, now I'm trying. I think there were four or five Republicans in the caucus that, after the insurrection, voted to um, not certify Joe Biden's election, and then after that, they welcomed two more into the caucus that voted to overturn the election. So, you know this is just, it's, it's a baloney effort, right? It's, it's so phony. And, and if you take the time to learn the players and learn the system, you realize that it's really gaslighting of epic proportions, but this is not the only caucus that does that. Um, my opponent has uh, he's, he's the, ch- he likes to create caucuses and, and name himself the chair. There's a environmental caucus that he's part of and I'm forgetting the name of it right now. But, um, you know, that they work on environmental issues. Well, hey, that sounds great. I would love if my congressperson was working on saving our planet. That sounds lovely. It's a bipartisan caucus. They have climate deniers in the caucus. Like, you're not working on environmental policy. Uh, The science is the science. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, yeah, the Problem Solvers Caucus cause problems. And and that's what y'all should remember about them.
0: But a week ago, it was a that Tom Swazi broke some rules by not reporting some stock trades that he did. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I don't know if you want to comment on that, but I, I doubt the uh, problem solvers or anybody else is going to call him out on that and comment.
1: Right. Uh, you know, there, there's not much I can really say on that, except, um, you know, I think he violated the Stock Act more than any other member of Congress, which, of course, no one wants to hear as a constituent. You know, I, I will say the the reports that, you know, even candidates have to file are very complicated. But, you know, that he's not a first time congressman either. This is his third term and he's an accountant and a lawyer. That that is strange. I think it's more troubling because, he sits on the House Ways and Means Committee, which is the committee that writes tax policy. So, you know, I, I won't make any assumptions. I'm sure there are investigations happening. Didn't he elbow out AOC to get on that
0: one? Is that he the did. one the finance one? Yes, yeah. he
1: did. Yes, he did. And I, I wish we could have had AOC on that committee. Imagine having a real fighter for the people writing tax policy instead of someone who is, a, you know, uh, one of the, the top um, recipients of Corporate lobbyist money, and then they're writing laws for corporations. It's it's you can't you should not be able to sit on a committee if you're taking money from the companies you're writing the laws for. I mean that that just should not be allowed.
0: I agree with that. Bringing it back to the district, I just wanted to know: is there any uh, community groups that you forge strong ties with in either Nassau or Queens, or that you've worked with previously, and they're you know interested in your campaign?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we've we worked with, um, oh gosh, so many groups. Um, in fact, you know, a lot of the work that I did in between the last election and, and relaunching this year, we worked to build out a coalition, um, like a real coalition, so that we're not being... Um, or uh, so that we're not wasting our resources, right? Oftentimes, I think, you know, we see this all over the country. If, you know, the, thankfully, we have a lot of us who really care deeply about social causes. But, you know, for example, if, you know, there's a, a you know, if there's a, a shooting and then we want to come together and rally and hold a vigil, you know, we, not every single group needs to look up every fact and figure it out, right? We we have groups that specialize in that. So we should leverage each other. You know, some are better at, Voter outreach, and we need to leverage each other's strengths and build upon that. So, so we did a lot of that. But so, some groups that I'm, I'm, uh, you know, involved in, I'm, I'm a member of QIP, the Queens United Independent Progressives in Queens. Uh, I try to participate in, you know, as you know, uh, Northeast Queens, indivisible. I've met a lot of community leaders in Queens as well. I did a lot of volunteering on many of the city council can, uh, candidate races. Uh, I know Elizabeth, I saw you at, at Jessalyn Carr's uh, events. Uh, she's a superstar. I'm a big fan of hers. You know, so So we have a lot of alliances that way. In terms of Nassau County, yeah, there's, um, I mean, I, I'm a, a national organization for women, Nassau, delegate to the state. So we have that chapter and we've continued to try to grow it and, and um, you know, build it out. We do work with Indivisible Nassau County. We do work with the Long Island Network for Change. Together, we will Long Island, uh, Suffolk Progressives. There's so uh, Muslims for Progress, uh, Ben the Arc. There's so many groups that are working um, to push for the change that we need. And I think this time around, you know, or I should say in the last election, we were building as we're going and we're very excited to have the support of community organizers and grassroots activists from day one, because that has really allowed us to to branch out and build, I think, a much larger infrastructure.
0: Is there anything on your agenda that's specific to NASA or Queen's?
1: For Nassau and Suffolk County, I would say in particular, Queens, there's a water issue, right? Queens is a little bit different because you all are lucky and, and get different water. We have uh, in, in Bethpage, the, we have a plume essentially, right? We get our water from aquifers from groundwater uh, and they're polluted. And there is one of the largest plumes in the country and it continues to grow one of the major polluters on Long Island is Northrop Grumman who is responsible for this plume and is also a very uh, large donor to my opponent uh we ne- we need to address this we we can't continue to kick the can down the road and, and and you know this is in our community and most people are unaware of the different levels of toxins that are in our water and some are so small they can't be filtered out and 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 w- As terrible as that sounds, you know, there are communities across the country that have brown water, like Flint, Michigan still doesn't have water. There are communities in West Virginia where they turn on the tap and brown water comes out. So that's something that I care deeply about. I also think there are many other environmental actions we can take. We need to fortify our shorelines. Um, I do think we need to build out public transportation. So this is, of course, particularly important for Queens, which, you know, many areas are just a complete transportation desert. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, from an environmental perspective, yeah, you know, we live on an island. So there's there's a lot that we need to do there. But we're also looking at housing policy and how that affects, you know, different neighborhoods and the effect of, you know, big real estate and what they're, how they're gobbling up communities and driving up prices. And, uh, you know, we, there's an affordability crisis really all over New York, but particularly in our district. Uh, you know, So that's something we care about. And we're, you know, we're meeting with some partners. It's a little bit tricky because zoning uh, really affects housing. So from a federal perspective, you know, it's, it's not as simple as as, um, you know, on the local community scale. But, you know, I'm looking to create partnerships with city council members and, you know, assembly and state, uh, as well as Nassau County and Suffolk County legislators to try to come up with solutions so that we can provide affordable housing, you know, and then of course, healthcare is a big one for me, but that that's a national platform, you know, New York is fighting for it, but that'll, I believe if we can make sure that we pass healthcare, Medicare for all, everyone having healthcare will uh, alleviate a lot of our issues. So, you know, I mean, we, we can talk more specifically if there are specific Issues you care about, but you know, on the federal level, there, there's a lot we can do. And I think where the jurisdiction is not, uh, wouldn't have as big of an impact. I still think that there are opportunities for me to leverage the office and build stronger partnerships with local representatives, which I think we don't see enough of. Uh, and I think you know, if we did, we it, w- it would just it would help the entire system.
2: I mean, that sounds so lovely. (laughs) I'm just kind of sitting with that building coalition with local and, and building connections that way seems like it should be a given for how representatives work at the very least. You would think it
1: should be and it can be you know, but unfortunately, it's very disjointed. And, you know, we think about how do we help our community? And certainly, you know, federal law is obviously federal, but when we look at those hyper-local issues, what do we need and how do we get it? And, and I think, you know, pushing from both ends, pushing at the state level, pushing at the county level, pushing at the federal level, and then lending support to each other, um, I, I do think, you know, builds the platform, it builds the case. Uh, it helps uh, constituents understand, especially when we're all talking about the same issues and, and working on them together. And, and frankly, I just think it's 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 a way we can get a lot more done.
0: I think what I was thinking about when you were speaking is that you seem like you would be uh, very accountable to the people that you would represent. And that's my hope for everyone that's elected, but that's just not true. And there's a lot of people of the New York democratic delegation where it's just, they get elected and that's it. You know, I mean, I can't, and this was something that happened to me with um, Kathleen Rice. I can't imagine like being in a room with you and asking you a question and you being like, well, Donald Trump's president. <laughs> like that's the beginning, middle, and end of the question. Like I know, like a Republican president limits a Democratic Congress, but right. That's you know.
1: Right, and and you know, um, I get asked that question a lot too. You know, someone will say to me, "Well, you you'll only be one Congress person now. What can you do?" And I I say like, "Well, you know, look at AOC. Right, she's one Congress person." But look at her platform. And I'm not saying that I would, you know, wield the, the powerful platform she has. But she's, a, I think, a really positive example of how you can be part of the system, but expand it in ways that bring people in. And I say, look at Cori Bush, who, you know, who protested at the steps of the Capitol and pushed the president to extend the eviction moratorium, That was so unconventional, and I don't think enough people are talking about that. She used what she knew and she wielded her power in a completely unexpected way, in a way that I think, you know, is is just would never have been expected for a congressional representative. And so I and I, I do really believe the more we can elect real people. Uh, You know, not generational politicians, not those who come from immense wealth or, you know, are insanely connected to the right people, but actually people that just want to help their communities and want to want to improve the lives of their community members those are the people where you're going to start to see that sort of you know in, in a way it's like um, innovative legislating or something right and, and and you'll see it and I think we can move the needle because we're seeing it happen with progressives that are in Congress right now. I don't think you have to become part of the system and and I know you know there are even our progressive um, friends in Congress saying that it's very hard and there's a lot of pressure and I don't doubt that but at the end of the day, you have to remember why you ran in the first place. Right. And, and I think as long as you remember that, you you'll always do the right thing. Right. And, and I, I really, truly believe there are many ways to move the needle. But, you know, n- none more than electing enough progressives to to really leverage power and pass policy that will uplift all Americans and, and residents.
0: So, Like I said, I'm a supporter of yours. I don't, I don't think these questions have been incredibly easy or incredibly difficult. But uh, here's a fun one. If the Republicans nominate him again and, and you win the primary, can you beat George Santos?
1: <laughs> George Santos was just endorsed by a hate group. So I, I have um, <laughs> I certainly think we can um, we, we can handle him in the general. I, I, I don't I. Well, certainly there are um, Trump supporters in the district. I I don't even believe that the overwhelming majority of Republicans are Trump supporters. I think, you know, many folks just want to be heard and they they want to They don't want to feel the struggle of life. They don't want to feel like they're barely hanging on. Um, You know, we we have drilled into all of us like this, this idea of American exceptionalism and pull yourself up by the bootstraps and never ask for help. And, you know, all of it is just it's just nuts. It, it just, none of it makes sense. You know, there are kind of, we, we are last in, 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 in so many lists when you, when you uh, compare us to other countries, you know, and like who is really saying, or, or how did we brainwash people to say, you want me to be able to go to the doctor when I need to see the doctor and not go into debt because of it? Oh, we Nobody is saying that. Come on. Come on, really think about it. I think we have to bring back critical thinking and, and show people that, you know, we can pass policy that will actually help people. And that, you know, it's it's not a handout. I mean, what is the purpose of government? If it, it is not to make our lives harder and make the 1% extremely wealthy. That is not the purpose, but unfortunately that's what's happening right now. You know, this is a blue district. It's been a blue district for over 20 years with redistricting. It's likely to get even more blue. And, you know, frankly, like we we've been building and we've been talking to folks and we've been bringing people into this, uh, this campaign and this movement, because it's not really about an election, right? It's, it's about Saving ourselves, right? It, it's about electing someone who cares enough to read a bill because my opponent sure doesn't. So yeah, I I, I don't I don't I don't really have much time. For folks who who want to hate monger or are proud of endorsements by hate groups, I'm really focused on just delivering for this district and doing the best job I can to do the most good and 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 pass policy uh, or fight like hell for policy and 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 funding for this district. So yeah, I I feel very confident we can we can win the general.
0: So just to clarify, um, when I went to George Santos's website just now. And clicked on endorsement. It says, oops, that page can't be found. <laughs> are you referring to Long Island Loud Majority? Yes. To be correct. Yeah. Yes. Okay. They have a very obnoxious bumper stickers. So, um, wait, what are, what
2: are the bumper stickers? You have to tell me.
0: <laughs> One of them, I think, got in trouble because they made a fake license plate that's a January 6,
2: 2021. Oh, that kind. Yeah. Got it. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I think it's kind of funny that they're calling themselves like loud majority
2: Mm. because like
0: I constantly see posts from people who they're loud, but they're they're not a majority, at least of New York, twenty New York three. And I I think it's more like there's a silent majority of people who hate them and like run away from them. So nothing bad or violent happens, you know, because they don't want to get hate crime like they like walk the other way when you see them coming.
1: Right, they're loud. Yeah, they're they're not the majority, um, and, and and frankly, you know, some of the behavior is is just it's reckless and irresponsible, and it's uh, creating a public health issue
0: on multiple levels. Like I'm not <laughs> sure if you're talking about like fist fights or like not wearing masks or like open carrying guns. Like there are multiple reasons that they create public health issues. Yes, yes. Um, I don't I don't want it to be the the majority show, but I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Karen, did you have any more questions? Well, I, I wanted to ask. I feel like we spent a lot of time on uh, talking about healthcare. We spent a good deal of time talking about some of the ways that this district is not being well represented. And I, I, I guess, I, I wanted to ask what in your description of your your kind of coalition building between local and federal in this position. What are some of the projects that you would work on? So you mentioned water and healthcare. I believe, a, a couple other things. So,
1: Absolutely. Um, so I, I'm very interested in affordable housing and, and building a coalition to ensure that we can, you know, both make sure that young people can start families and, and have the shelter they need, but also our aging population, our seniors who are getting pushed out of their homes with nowhere to go and they're having to leave the state you Know that is something I think we can address on multiple fronts. Um, college uh, for one, as well. I have I, a friend of mine once said, um, you know, we shouldn't call it free college, we should just call it extended public education. And I think it was the smartest, uh, you know, framing of that that I ever heard because you know, we provide public education from K to 12, you know, we should be providing, you know, pre-K and end college. We should be uh, if we want to compete on a national stage, if we want to continue to innovate and, you know, and and we will need to because we have a climate catastrophe on our hands. Right. So that is something I I would like to get federal funding for. And I think that's something that we could we could build in coalition as well. Um, You know, I'm also a big fan. I don't think I mentioned this tonight. I'm, I'm a big supporter of canceling student debt. And I think, you know, that's something that's very popular here in New York where we can continue to build, you know, and you know, I think Elizabeth knows this. I I started out uh, with my activism, you know, many years ago, really, you know, starting to get more involved with Planned Parenthood and, you know, reproductive health has always been important to me. And I think, you know, while New York has We've certainly strengthened our, our our laws in in that arena. There's still more to go. Um, Assemblywoman Jessica Gonzalez Rojas, in fact, just introduced a bill where. Um, it would it would ensure that providers who provide maternity care will also have to provide abortion services. So you know, I, I just think there's ways to to work together and and make sure we're taking care of people. And you know, of course, we have a long way to go with the maternal health crisis, maternal mortality crisis in this country. That that's that's a place I mentioned earlier. You know, we're last on the list. We're, we're last on the list, and so unfortunately, it's an area that overwhelmingly affects Black women. Brown women, Indigenous women. Uh, so, and 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 it's sadly, you know, many of these issues do. So that's also an area that you know, I'm a mom, I have three kids, and I, I worked as an allied health professional my entire career. So, looking at you know social determinants of health and how do we invest back in the communities and how can we provide community care? You know, th- those are areas that I think there's a lot of room and a lot of opportunity to create uh, really um, thriving communities and spaces that will care for us.
2: Yeah, it's uh pretty depressing to know a lot about social determinants of health in and being a position as a healthcare provider as opposed to a legislator. So I I really see the the benefit of having somebody with that experience in Congress. Mm-hmm. Not my district, but yeah. <laughs> but I have that resonates very deeply with me.
1: I have um, some thoughts that is, that may likely be unpopular in Long Island and and Queens, certain areas of certain parts of the district in Queens. But we have just abused the land that we live on to a point where our soil has lost so many of the nutrients and we don't have that many more harvesting cycles left. And so we really need to pivot, you know, and, and, and of course, you know, carbon sequestration is a big issue for global warming. And, you know, I'd love to introduce a federal policy that mandates that any government land or government building only plant native plants, which, you know, both contribute to increasing biodiversity, but also feed the soil and, and you know, uh, essentially, provide it with nutrients it needs while also sequestering carbon. Um, And and potentially, you know, that's another area where I think we can build coalition on state and local levels. Uh, Maybe there are incentives we can provide to folks to do that. And in turn, uh, you know, we have all these lawns in in Long Island and nobody plays on them or anything like that. You know, they're just ornamental, uh, certainly front lawns. And so there's just, you know, I, I, I don't think so much that there are folks that are so averse to planting native plants. I just don't think the education is there. You know, I'd love to see more community composting, you know, that's a way we can certainly, you know, put our nutrients back in our soil as well. So, you know, I, I really think that like the sky is the limit. I mean, I would say like, I am not an expert at, you know, in every area. But what I would be looking to do is like bring in the experts and and bring in the community partners who've been doing the work for so long. And um, let's hear from from the experts and the people who have been in the fight forever. And and, and let's build a plan and and, and let's execute on it. What I can say with 100% certainty is I'm the kind of legislator that, you know, comes from a place of morality and integrity and a, a place of always trying to do the right thing. And sometimes that's at odds, you know, but because, you know, sometimes funding, you, you know, both groups need funding, but it should never be lobbyists over people. You know, it should always be about centering our communities and centering our people and, and creating, uh, helping people live, you know, lives that they can be happy and healthy and uh, thrive. That That's what it should be about.
0: This podcast is definitely critical of lawns. I mean, they're, they're kind of <laughs> pretty immoral. Also, I've I've said that before.
2: Also, <laughs> native plants will help make the soil resilient to flooding. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are right on the ocean here, you yeah. know. Right.
1: Right. Well, and even, you know, like these these fertilizers, right, that are, that folks are spraying on their lawns. I again, I don't think that people are intentionally spraying these chemicals on their lawn because you know they want to uh they they like algal blooms you know they 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 like just polluting our water i don't think that's it i know people who are interested in 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 helping with environmental causes or you know how do i recycle or oh what's this native plant sale about you know but there's their their landscaper comes and sprays all kinds of chemicals and i think some of that again it's it's not that people are averse to doing the right thing it's just that they don't know no. And I think sometimes that does fall on legislators, right? Like well, they have these platforms and we can educate on mass scale about it. So we need to be doing that.
0: That but, definitely also might be a village issue in some parts of Long Island, like with code enforcement or whatever. Yes,
1: yes, like, for sure. Yeah, absolutely.
0: But like federal agencies can combat that if you like provide incentives for people to plant like native
1: Right. And, 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 and yeah. as, as a starting point, we could do it on federal lands right and federal mm-hmm. buildings and and make sure that those plants are
0: native the town of hempstead actually has been doing like native plants in front of some of their buildings for like quite a while like even back like when when kate Murray was around so maybe she didn't know about
2: it but we, we they have, have been um, doing in, it for a while
1: in what i want to say it's in great neck it's it's somewhere in north hempstead and this this is kind of cool and they're doing this on um governor's island as well they' are, they have put some goats to to eat you know the invasive plants, which is a, you know a more natural way to to rid uh, land of invasives. So you know it, it can be, I think quite expensive. but you know, finding these alternatives to protect our land, I think is is you know of paramount importance as we move into um, you know what what unfortunately will be risk mitigation, probably for the rest of our lives in terms of climate change.
2: Well, this, I mean, this in particular speaks to, I think, a bit of a a shift that I think we're seeing more generationally, but that we've put so many of these movement issues onto individuals, you know, people are getting fed up with the straw stuff, people are getting fed up with the, like, and then it's, when it becomes an individual issue, it becomes much more partisan as well, you know, why, why is it people an individual choice to buy a hybrid and then somebody is making their individual choice to do rolling coal, you know, these are infrastructure problems that we've made individual issues. And so actually I do think federally is the place we can't do a whole country's worth of individual actions without national representation. And and so I really I find that really deeply resonant what you're what you're stating is that this is going to take federal action as well as local action it is actually not like my personal job to to turn around climate change by making it more difficult to drink a latte. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean well, I-, I was working on a project to get uh, electric car chargers in my neighborhood and every single company charged a ridiculous credit card fee on top of it. And like, that's a federal issue right there. Like, that's ridiculous, but not to go too off topic, right, but that's right. that's kind of what Karen was saying. Like when you make an individual issue and then you have these predatory businesses trying to like skim ridiculous things off the top, like it's just-
1: Absolutely. You know, just, just real quick, because you mentioned, you know, the latte and the amount of plastic that we create in this country because it's cheap, but the other, the cost- is very very high uh you know it extracts so many fossil fuels which exacerbates global warming and you know i just saw a film um what was it, i think it was called microplastic madness and uh it was it was a um, a film that a, a local a group that i'm part of an environmental group um, put on at the science museum and it was about a, a school in brooklyn who started partnering with environmentalists and they started coming in and teaching the kids about recycling and Essentially, they they've now transformed the school, and they're on their way to becoming a zero waste school. But in it, they they told us that um, each person each year ingests seventy four thousand particles of microplastics, and even babies have microplastics within them now. And you know, it, it's like that's where we're at. You know, and I I I. I often and wonder, you know, if I, if I read ads that say, how much plastic are you eating? You know, maybe people would pay attention, you know, maybe we could, but again, this is an education issue. I don't think people are aware of, of how it's all interconnected and, you know, it's, 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 it's capitalism at its finest. And, um, you know, it's, we're abusing their companies, big oil, big plastic, they are (laughs) abusing our land. They're abusing uh, us (laughs) now, right? Our children, And it's, you know, we just, we need folks who aren't going to be afraid to go up against them, you know, who aren't going to be afraid to say, keep your checks because we don't want them.
2: Right. So if you do need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, there does need to be some bootstrap infrastructure out there. (laughs) You know, if you have no bootstraps, there's nothing to pull. Even though I know, I know that like pull yourself up by your bootstraps is is actually because it's impossible to do so. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm we need an infrastructure where we can pull ourselves up and that comes federally.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, you know, we look at that that whole notion. I think about it all the time. Wages have been stagnant for the majority of people since the seventies and CEO pay has just exploded. What kind of ladders to opportunity are there when, when jobs are paying the same as they paid in the seventies, they're paying in the 2020s. I mean, it's, It's it's just a lie. It's it's a huge lie. And but these are all policy choices. Poverty is a policy choice. And so so can opportunity. Opportunity can be a policy choice, too.
0: Hopefully, next time we have you back on, you'll be the uh, candidate or the congresswoman. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Do you have anything to add? And you want to make your pitch? Tell people where to reach you online and stuff like that.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's always fun being on. Um, So for everyone listening, my name again is Melanie Dorigo. I'm running for Congress in New York's 3rd District, which is part of Queens, uh, part of Northern Nassau, and uh, Northwestern Suffolk County. My website is Dorigo2022. I'll spell it out for you. It's D-A-R-R-I-G-O 2022.com. I'm also on Twitter at dorigo Melanie. And I can be found on Facebook and Instagram at Durigo for Congress. So we would really appreciate your support. We're building a grassroots movement. I think this is going to be one of the most exciting races in the country this year, because this, we're going to win this seat and all eyes are going to be on us. So join us, uh, you know, whether you can chip in a few dollars or you have some time to volunteer, I promise if you want to help us, we've got a job for you. So check us out.
2: Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Feminist Coffee Hour podcast tackling political rumors from the feminist outer boroughs of new york city if you like our podcast please support us at our patreon which you can find at www.patreon.com feminist coffee hour or you know do a google for patreon and feminist coffee hour our patrons get early releases of episodes plus other cool perks at higher levels if you can't support us financially you can always give us a five-star rating on itunes and write us a review as it helps the algorithm know we're there and that people like us like you Our intro and outro music is Making It Hard by Bridget Ellsworth and you can find her music on SoundCloud.